Hello. Oh, well, hello there. Hi, Leah. Hey, Kellen. This is Sword Explained. Yeah, it's uh, Sword Explained. Yeah. Sword Explained. I'm Kellen Doherty. I'm Leah Nielsen. And this is a podcast where we sort of explain something to each other. Yes, and to you as yes. the listener. <laughs> and topics can vary, you know, jump from one tadpole to the next. There's no limits, leapfrogging all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, we could we be talking about sky, anything. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this week I'm going to sort of explain something to you, Leah. I oh, hope that I, have, I, I, this. I love this. I have no idea what you're going to talk yeah. about. Yeah, and it's not going to be about Grimes's and Elon Musk's new baby name. Because oh, uh, <laughs> should it be that? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because literally we did our podcast and then like three days later they had their baby. And yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, like, we were just talking about this. Very applicable. Yeah. By the way, do you know how to pronounce it? I know how to pronounce it now. I read two different articles, and one was like, Grimes says it's this way, and Elon Musk says it's a different way. Oh. <laughs> like, well, what did they say? They don't, he's they're just, disagreeing? They don't agree. <laughs> so, Grimes was saying it's X-A-I, and then Elon was saying that it's X-Ash. Okay. <laughs> so the theory that I read was that it's like X is Kai and then A E is like pronounced like I in like certain languages, I guess, or something. And then A twelve is like alphabet starting with A letter twelve, which is L. So they said that the name was Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, that kind of makes sense. I thought I thought that was it. I don't think, I think that is one person thinking way too much about Kyle. it and being like, <laughs> no, oh, I saw a I meme know. about it. I saw an unrelated meme about it. <laughs> so. I mean, whatever it is, I think they're just like trolling everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're just like, or is it actually, I do think it would be funny if it was like a very random or a very normal name of like, yeah, it's Steve. Kyle. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm not gonna talk about that baby because that baby's a robot and I can't explain robots. Yeah. So this isn't much better than robots, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, Well, remember when we had those like 500 democratic democratic candidates all wanting to be president, and then we had a debate like all the time on CNN. It felt like. There were a lot. They split them up into groups, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it started with, like, there were, like, 24 people, and then it shrunk down, and then at some point in time, back in February, we had six left. And there was this one very infamous debate during this time in February where, I mean, part of it was pretty normal. Everyone kind of just forgot that Joe Biden was even there. 
uh, Bernie. Don't we always? <laughs> don't we want him to not be don't there? We kind of want him to not be there. <laughs> like, just uh, stand behind the curtain, Joe. Just you don't you just, just hide. He's man, just like just waving hide. to no one. Just, just stand by the shrimp platter and like hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're still gonna be the president anyway, or at least the. Yeah, anyway, uh, Bernie, he was there uh, yelling about Medicare for All, and people were still like, but isn't it scary? And he was like, no. Uh, But (laughs) the most memorable thing from this specific debate was Elizabeth Warren became known for eviscerating Mike Bloomberg. And as someone who greatly respects and supported Elizabeth Warren's run and really hated Mike Bloomberg even being involved in the primaries, I thought it was a beautiful moment. Yes. (laughs) So she had this big quote from the night and it was um, starting, quote, I'd like to talk about who we're running against, a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. Ooh, where are That's where she like, got the mic. Um, but then keeps going. Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee, a nominee with a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And he did. He I mean, that was the biggest it. thing. That was, I didn't know really anything about Michael Bloomberg, but I knew about the stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. like, great. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of my coworkers was watching it while we were working late one night and she was like, what's stop and frisk? And I was like, oh, I guess if you're not from the East coast, you might not know about it, oh, but huh. it's real messed up. <laughs> so yeah. I like, I already knew about stop and frisk. And I, I mean, I didn't know about his issues with women. And then after Elizabeth Warren, I was like, okay, she brought the thunder on that one. Uh, but then there was, this, <laughs> there was this other term, redlining, which I was like, oh, I kind of know what that is, but I don't really know what it is. Like, right. I remember it was like glossed over once in a while in like a college class here and there, but no one ever really explained it to me. So I was like, I should know what that is probably. And so that's what this episode is about. It's okay. redlining. I don't know anything about that. So okay. good. Good. Did you like my introduction? I I wanted to piece it together in a nice narrative for you. Yeah, it was good. You painted a picture. <laughs> yeah. Put the suspense tight. You know. <laughs> so um, to be clear, there are two different definitions for redlining. One is to drive your car at or above its rated maximum RPM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the second is... That's my kind of red line. <laughs> That's all I do, especially without traffic anymore. I'm just... I don't even know what that means, but I don't know anything about cars. I mean, like, I have an idea of what it means, but if I had to explain what your RPM really is, I'd be like, I, I'm out. Rotations per minute. It's your but tires. Like, but how many, how, how? Reds per minute? Okay, maybe that's no. another thing that needs to This happened in another episode where we tried to say something very bland about cars, and then we couldn't even do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll think about that one. Yeah, we'll I think it's bank. rotations per minute, but we'll just, yeah, let's, uh, okay. 
hot side table, that little bad boy. Anyway, yeah. the second definition of redlining is to refuse things like loans or insurance to someone basically because they live in an area deemed to be a poor financial risk. Ooh. Yeah. That's so, bad. So yeah. it's like just judging someone by their address, basically. Basically, yes. So to clarify, yes, we are talking about the latter redlining, not about driving cars. <laughs> Let's jump right in. 1933. Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going back in time. You know, Great Depression era times. Mm. Things were rough. I picture the 30s as just one giant tumbleweed. Uh, but I also really like the Grapes of Wrath. So that's what I think of in my mind whenever I, I think read, of the 30s. I just think of sepia tones and a tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read the book? Like, it was, I think it's called Dust Bowl. <laughs> there was a book about this family that lived in the Dust Bowl. And it was, like, required reading for me at some point. And it was, like, Isn't very... that the Grapes of Wrath? No, it wasn't the Grapes of Wrath. Because <laughs> was... the Grapes of Wrath is about the Dust Bowl. I'd have to look it up. I'd have to look it up. But I liked it a lot, but it was just, like, incredibly, not not just boring, but, like, tragic and boring. And I did picture everything in black and white, even though, like, in a book, you can picture anything you want. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Did you read The Grapes of Wrath? I did, and I've seen the play. It's a play, yeah. right? Yeah. It's probably been made into a play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember the end is very scarring. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, God. And I was like, <laughs> and ever since then, I was like, don't want to live in the 30s. No one is ever like, uh, people are always like, oh, I belonged in the 20s because I love flapper dresses. Or like, oh, I belonged in the 60s because I like peace signs. No one's ever like, I belonged in the 30s. <laughs> because I like dust and poverty. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. like being worried that I'm going to starve. <laughs> well, okay. To be fair, I have gotten like pretty intensely involved in this YouTube can channel called Depression Cooking. <laughs> woman, uh, I can't think of her name right now, but she cooks She's very old, and she cooks uh, <laughs> meals that her family used to cook in the Depression, and I just, like, can't stop watching. Like, there was this whole episode where she was just like, we're gonna make peppers and eggs. <laughs> like, like, all of my friends wanted peppers and eggs, and the way she's putting peppers and eggs, it's just like, I couldn't stop. And now I've been eating peppers and eggs, like, almost every day, so... <laughs> I mean, Clara. Her name's Clara. Cooking with Clara. So, shout out to Clara. Look at shout out to Clara. Cooking with Clara. It's incredibly soothing. So, I remember they talked about in the Great Depression, like especially. I mean, there were the everyone was hard on their luck, but like the already impoverished, and then the depression happens. They resorted to eating like rancid meat, but if you boil it or broil it for long enough. Like, it, like, it okay won't kill somehow. you. <laughs> it, I don't think it was okay, but it was like, this will keep us alive and it won't kill us. And I okay. forget, it's some kind of stew. I forget what it's supposed to call. Well, so she's but. been cooking, she cooked peppers and eggs, and then she, but the peppers was because her family grew them their, themselves. Mm. And then they made, what really was an interesting one was dandelion salad. And she was like, yeah, I would like leave my job at like... <laughs> 
13 or something and then like go pick these dandelions on a hill and then I would bring them home to my mom and she would make dandelion salad and it was like wow that that sounds like depression yeah (laughs) that's that's oh god it's like no one alive today besides this woman would think like you can eat that if you wanted to you know like yeah I know they're growing in a field but you can eat it yeah yeah Well, in 1933, (laughs) things were tough, so Congress created something called the Homeowners Loan Corporation, or the HOLC, and it was created as part of FDR's New Deal because so many foreclosures were happening because, of course, people lost their houses because of the Depression. So the goal was to provide new low-interest mortgages to both homeowners and private mortgage lenders. So from 1933 to 1936, they served about 100 million households. So like, that's a good thing, right? We don't want maybe, people to lose their houses. <laughs> like, what could go wrong? <laughs> So the problem came when something called the City Survey Program was enacted, and that was to basically see who would have access to these loans. It was meant to just look at local real estate trends, which was just fancy jargon of to see where the ethnic and racial minorities were located in major cities. Right. Yeah. So the HOLC implemented this grading scale for different areas and cities. So they were color-coded, and then they also got letter grades. I don't know why they did both, maybe for, like, colorblind people. I I don't know. But it seemed redundant to me. But anyway, here it is. (laughs) Grade A, or green neighborhoods. These are the best. So they were ethnically homogenous and had lots of room for housing developments. So, hey, here's a bunch of white people and also a bunch of land where we can build more homes. the term homogenous. (laughs) (laughs) Super sketchy. Yeah. Not something you see when you think of, you don't put ethnically and homogenous together, like, ever anymore. Like, that's not, no, no. (laughs) I gotta say, like, this bit, obviously horrible, but not surprising for the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So once we get going, then we've got grade B, which is the blue neighborhoods. They were already developed, but were still desirable. So like a crowded white neighborhood. Then we have grade C neighborhoods, which were yellow. And the yellow neighborhoods, quote, started to decline and showed an infiltration of a lower grade population. Ooh. Ooh. So that's got a great ring to it. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then we got grade D, which is the red neighborhoods, which were to home, loaner, home lenders hazardous. They had low home ownership rates, old, poorly built homes, and a, quote, undesirable population, which referred mostly to Jews and African Americans. Yeah, God, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, so like, obviously 90 years ago, we're talking real hardcore racism flowing 
out of everybody's orifice, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hot mess. Uh, of course, these times were extremely difficult for people during the Great Depression for all people, and the government passed this act under the guise that they were looking out for homeowners and trying to lend out a helping hand during a difficult time. But it was, of course, only there to help out certain people, and not only did it only help out a certain population, but the people that it wasn't helping were also significantly hurt by it, and it has lasting effects to mm. this day. So let's jump a little bit ahead, though, after World War II. So okay. William J. Levitt came about with his company Levitt and Sons, which was a housing development company. Um, it was for suburban housing, and it was for returning veterans and their new families. The communities offered attractive alternatives to cramped central city locations and apartments. The first development, titled Levittown, was built, built in Levittown, New York, Aww. then spread to other developments in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Maryland. Cool. Yeah. But is this, so is this like the spring of, or like the start of suburbia? Yeah. 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 Like I remember in high school in my like history textbook, we had a little part about this and it had like a aerial shot of like a housing development. Yeah. And I was like, oh that that's where I live like that's <laughs> my whole town is all just suburban living and I was like I don't get this well, uh, but like, I, don't, I don't know if you ever watched Weeds <laughs> the yeah. show Weeds where the intro where it's like tinker town tinker tiny boxes song yeah yeah exactly but it is just like a repetitive everything looks the same kind of mm -hmm development thing yeah yeah and I didn't live in a housing development but a lot of my friends did and mm -hmm. like I would go to one house and then I'd go to another house and I'd be like your house is the same as my other friend's house <laughs> and I was like why do you guys all have the same layout like the same yeah that's crazy like, everyone's garage is here and everyone's living room is here and then your bedroom is there and like, then I went to my house and it was all crazy. And I was like, yeah. why? <laughs> and I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. So yeah. yeah. Um, but Levittown was a little tricky. Uh, in their lease, it was stated, Levittown homes must not be used or occupied by any person other, other than the Caucasian race. <laughs> well, that's just there yeah it's not even hiding That's, it they're just being very blatant they're like no no <laughs> whites only and i don't know if they're thinking like oh if we put caucasian race it sounds better it sounds more no, formal no, like, still no, pretty KK at chaos, so. yeah now keep in mind the only thing at the time that was equal to all men was the draft so any non-white man that risked their lives overseas survived and then came back, even if they had the money to buy a house, they still couldn't because Ugh. of this arbitrary rule in the leasing agreement. Yeah. And during this time period, 98% of home loans were given to white people. So those 100 million from... Uh, you know, back when it started, like that's for this whole time period, 100 million, 98% were given to white people. What is the like years of this time period? Is so, 
Yeah, it's after World War II. It was mostly just all in the 50s. Um, It ended in 1968. Oh, that's late. God. So 34 years this lasted. This horribly racist act happened and lasted. And it only ended because of the Civil Rights Act. (laughs) Um, And in the Civil Rights Act, Title 8 and 9 was titled the Fair Housing Act. Simply put, it states that no one can refuse rent, sell, or restrict access to someone because of their race, gender, religion, or nationality. Yeah. And this is also the time period when, in the 60s, that sociologist John McKnight coined the term redlining. Oh, okay. okay. Because of the color system. Uh, So, like, he's pulling from those 1930s definitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it was definitely something that, like, people knew about and talked about, but he was the one that was like, no, this should be a term. Mm, Okay, okay. Yeah, he was like, redlining is a thing, because they were still being able to see the color, the color gradient on that, on those charts. So, now that is taken care of, and everything is fine now. End of podcast. (laughs) Sure! (laughs) (laughs) Now... In the age of 2020, not only does redlining still hurt in terms of getting a home loan, but it basically dictates like literally every part of your life if you're quote unquote in the red zone. Mm -hmm. And if you live on one side of it, you can have great access to getting a home where your kids go to school and subsequently the education they receive and afterwards. It can affect internet and cable access, small business loans, groceries, student loans, credit cards, and even public health. (laughs) Yeah. So what do Jackson, Mississippi, Chicago, Albany, Georgia, Detroit, and Pine Bluff, Arkansas all have in common? Um, something, like, they, I want to say that they have, like, an actual red line, like, a defined red line. Is that awful? (laughs) No, that's pretty much right. They're all incredibly (laughs) segregated. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And the practice of redlining helped promote this thing we call the racial wealth gap. So that is definitely something that people talk about Chicago a lot and definitely Detroit a lot, especially it comes hand in hand with also gentrification, but gentrification is a whole other thing that is a whole other thing to get into. Um, Jackson, Mississippi, I was like, I can see it. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, don't, never heard of you. I I don't don't know what happened there. That one was the number one most segregated city. (laughs) I was like, ugh. Hey, that's not gonna be good. Yeah. Arkansas uh, is never a state I ever think about. Like, yeah. That's never in my mind. <laughs> I it's probably in the like the top five states I think the least about. I don't think it's I think Iowa is the least for me. Okay. Like, I always I would say I think more about Iowa than Arkansas, but to be fair, I have been studying a turtle population in Arkansas right now, so that just happens to be that that's on my mind, but uh, normally I would have never thought of it, because it kind of fits in with Kansas, like I feel like they're the same thing just because they have the same word in them. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's like that, there's like that joke about like this 
non-English speaking woman trying to learn English. And she's like, why is this Kansas? But this is not our Kansas. Yeah, our Kansas. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not a joke. That's a vine that you're referencing. <laughs> yes, it's a vine. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm gonna pepper in three um, references to vines in this whole episode. So you got one. You gotta find it. It's you like hidden. Yeah, it's like a treasure hunt. It's an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> <laughs> but the racial wealth gap—that's not a good Easter egg hunt. That's the worst Easter egg hunt. Because <laughs> my I mean, smooth transition though. Smooth transition. Thank you. I'm trying to up my transition game. Uh, okay. Because minorities, most notably African Americans, have the disadvantage of constantly trying to overcome this race of getting out of this or climbing out of poverty by obtaining an education that they may fail them because of the public school funding they get. And even if they get into college, they probably won't be able to go unless they can afford it. And if they afford it, they can still not get a job because of racism of racism of employers. Mm-hmm. And None of that is by any means easy for anyone, so the cycle continues because where you live really dictates what can be the rest of your life. So take the cycle of poverty, sprinkle in redlining, and mash it together, and you've got like a casserole of terrible things. God. Yeah. That's my cooking metaphor. <laughs> you can tell I don't cook. Just a little mix of awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let's talk about how redlining affects things that we probably don't think of as often. Because I think, I mean, obviously the racial wealth gap is very apparent from racial segregation. And that's very mm-hmm. apparent and we can see it. But we can't always see how redlining affects other things. So for okay. instance, goods and services. Many taxis and delivery food services may not go to certain areas considered undesirable, but that can also pertain to retail, restaurants, department stores, you name it, which is crazy considering as a business, if you have a huge chain and then a huge chunk of the city without a chain there and the rent is cheap because it's low income, then you would want to build there, right? Because the rent is cheap and you can make a huge profit because everyone will be like, finally, we finally have this store. Let's all go to it. Okay. But they don't do that. And the reason they say is for safety concerns, most notably, and the concern for their employees uh, working there and for fear of like theft and vandalism and armed robberies. Which, of course, is terribly problematic to say that this area of Chicago doesn't deserve a Starbucks because people will come in with a gun just trying to steal all our beans. Like, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Like, what are you talking about? But (laughs) that's America (laughs) where we just fear all. I feel like I could play devil's advocate for this (laughs) because it's that's very much a concern in a lot of areas that aren't. Great. I don't know how to put it. You know, Baltimore. I live in Baltimore. I well, hopefully, don't tell my stalker that. (laughs) But like, there are issues with crime in certain areas. You know, and I'm not saying certain racial areas. It's just that there are. So I don't know. How do you? How do you? Yeah, but deal with that. 
<laughs> I think the toughest thing is like I remember learning in like sociology one of my sociology classes that like they say that about like housing authorities and like okay well crime is prevalent here so that's why we put you know glass in front of the buildings or like bulletproof glass or that's why we don't use this kind of material because if it's shattered it'd be unsafe or that's why we put like bars on the windows and things on the light bulbs so people don't steal them yeah and it's like okay but then it creates the psychology of like well they already think i'm a criminal so where do i go from here like it just starts to devalue people's self-worth if they just feel like they're criminal because yeah. people think they are um which obviously crime does happen and people do steal the light bulb sure <laughs> but like for other people that weren't thinking to steal the light, like a lot of people would come in and be like oh i would never think to steal light bulbs but now that the lighting unit is like under these bars <laughs> like now i yeah. think about it all the time uh so i think it's just it's hard i mean it's not I mean, an easy thing to fix or to yeah, and it is, like, what's, you know, like, that's a hard trade-off to do, where it's, like, yes, it would be lovely to, you know, enhance the lives of people that are not, you know, have, or even, it, like, where I live, you know, it's, like, enhance the idea of safety and not feel like, you know, everyone's on edge all the time, but it also, like, I feel like sometimes safety, safety precautions are necessary, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, everything's changed now. Everywhere has glass up because of Corona, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think what I'm thinking about is, like, in where I was living in Brooklyn, like, if I was in my neighborhood, any of the liquor stores, they all have the glass up and just the little slot. Right. Um, but if I was in a wealthier neighborhood, that's not there. And it was just like, okay. And it's hard in New York because everyone's – everywhere <laughs> like, yeah it's no like you can't even really have redlining like you kind of can in certain neighborhoods but for the most part it's just very difficult uh but it's just like yeah if I just go over one street and it's just like a white lady being like this will be twenty dollars for these nuts or whatever she's yeah. selling um it's tough and there was this also this article in City Lab where in 2013 in a suburb town in Chicago that was relatively well mixed, it had an average income $77,000 above the county average. Ooh, okay. However, Whoa. yeah, they had no quality restaurants. And when this guy, David McCarsky, asked the American Planning Association, he was told, quote, black folks don't tip. And so managers can't okay, maintain a quality hard. staff. And if they can't maintain a quality staff, they can't, ma can't maintain a quality restaurant. <laughs> so that's horrifying, obviously. Yeah, that's, that's really bad. That's... Yeah. That's a different level of. <laughs> and it's not even like, oh, it's because they're poor. It's because they don't, like, it's like a cultural thing they don't tip, which is also nonsense, but probably why they were being like, no, I'm not racist. It's just cultural. And it's like, no, you're being horribly racist right now. Uh, but yeah, 
So you, you see this in all these different areas about restaurants and small business owners, especially, um, they just don't want to go into these neighborhoods. And not only does this hurt people because they can't get, you know, access to things that they might want, um, companies also profit from this. Oh, and okay, yeah. they profit in it from two different ways. So part A or option A is they stay in the low income area, but they lower the standards of their goods, uh, like grocery stores, you know, they might have way lower quality produce that's going to expire quickly. There's a limited selection of things, much less healthier options, like just cheaper goods. But, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's for a cheaper price, but not yeah. really. Um, so they're saving money because they're giving cheaper, poor quality choices. Then there's option B, where they keep their stores in a green zone and people in the red zone have to travel further to get there. And if you don't have, you know, the right transportation, you can't get to it. But even if you do, then you're paying like an arm and a leg just for something that should be in your neighborhood, but you just can't get to it or it doesn't exist for yeah. <laughs> the right price. Yeah. So either way, like, people in the red zone lose. But hey, what about online? If I buy something from say Staples, Home Depot, or Rosetta Stone, I'll get a fair even price, right? <laughs> Rosetta Stone, I like that. <laughs> well, that would be when a was the no. last time you ordered something from Rosetta Stone, getting a good right. language kit? <laughs> During this quarantine, maybe we should all be doing that. Maybe we should all be learning a language. That's a good, like, productive quarantine thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to come out of this being fluent Italian. Good, good. At the drop of a hat. <laughs> no, I've tried to teach myself. I mean, I took, like, how many years of Spanish, and then I tried to do Duolingo Spanish. Still nothing. Yeah, I, no. I took a lot of years of French, and it's it's fairly gone. And yeah. I took some years of German, which I think kind of wiped out the years of French, so <laughs> I think that was my problem. With, like, the substitute property. Oh, it's just, like, totally different. Like, with German, you put the verb at the end of the sentence. So it'd be, like, to the park with my dog on Saturday, I went. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it's just like right like, you know, like, it's, it's a toughie it's toughie so. <laughs> Ooh. well yeah well if here's a fun thing if you wanted to buy rosetta stone wouldn't you get a fair price regardless of where you lived because it's online probably no. but no <laughs> because all three of those companies were redlining by when a customer would put in their address and their zip code, the price would increase for those in the red zone. And that's not in regards to the shipping. Um, that was just the actual price for the items. Wow. Okay. And it would increase if you were, again, living in an undesirable address. So whatever way you spin it, if you live in a good area, you get cheaper rates and you're already doing well and then if you're not doing well guess what you have to pay more anyway because you know fair is fair that's yeah. the way we roll <laughs> and there's this other little thing called uh liquor lining 
pertaining okay. to liquor stores. This is also referred to as reverse redlining, but that does not necessarily mean it's a good thing. So if there is a high density of liquor stores in a low income minority community, other companies won't want to go there or develop there because the prevalence of many liquor stores equates to an increased crime rate and public health issue. So again, like a nurse or someone in Atlanta just worked a 12 hour shift. They just want to go in and get a bottle of wine. Rosé. That's not allowed. But these like frat boys at Georgia State, like miles down the road are like binge drinking and yeah. paying like $20 for a IPA or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's not great. But you know what else sucks? Redlining when it comes to your finances. <laughs> so this mm -hmm. is when it gets real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all terrible, but this is getting worse. So let's start with something that's never done anything problematic ever in its life. Banks. So <laughs> credit card redlining is when banks will offer different amounts of credit based on what someone's address says on their application. Yeah. And it's so, not like, it's not based on their income or based on like what assets they have, which would be things that like could affect your loan, but like just your address, right? <laughs> Well, technically, they can look at all of those things. Those are the things they can look at. They can look yeah. at your credit score, how much you make, and where you live if it is for a mortgage, because okay. they want to know that whatever. Um, That's what you're paying, yeah. But oftentimes, they just kind of look at your address, and they're like, oh, well, she lives in this neighborhood, so, like... Again, poor people don't pay back their credit card bills as quickly, so they should have a higher interest because they're more likely to default with their loans. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, but how do you expect me to pay this high interest if I'm already not making a lot of money? So it's just But it is also interest. like if you were getting a loan for a small business and you did, you were like, had a really good income, you're working like really hard and you had all this, but you happen to live in like not a great place because you're trying to work your way up, you know, in a way that it mm -hmm. would be awful for them to deny you and like, like based on where you already are at, you know, stop your progress kind of, you know? Yes, but... The issue would be, yeah, with the actual interest rate and not okay. like giving not like them the loan or not the giving loan. them okay, the loan. Okay, okay, okay. Because um, they will give anybody a loan <laughs> okay. a lot of the times. Um, it's just like, oh, but if you want a loan, you're going to have like, like crazy interest fees, especially for like small, um, like what is it called? Like just when you like, you can't even go to a bank because your credit is so bad. So you just have to go to like one of those like small interest loan, right? Small, they, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a small loan or whatever. A small. They're just like they're super scams. Like they're or all payday loans. That's what I yes, mean. Yes, payday loans. Yeah. Like payday. oh well, I only get paid once a month, but I need to eat now. And yeah. it's like, okay, well here's a loan with a hundred percent interest rate. Like that <laughs> is 
insane and they're super scammy. And one guy that like coined the whole idea of this horrible practice, like went to prison. But yeah, that's like a whole mess. But this is pertaining, yeah, just to like the banks and them being like, well, like since you don't make a lot of money, you're going to have to pay more in interest. And it's like, okay, well, how do you ever expect anyone to really be able to work out of this? Um, but the same works for stricter repayment rates for mortgages, car loans, small business loans, basically you name it, any kind of loan that you need from your bank. So, um, then there was also this main thing with after the civil rights act, things were getting maybe a little less racist from the new deal in the thirties. But one thing that was still very prevalent was that if a black family moved into a white suburb, the white families would move away and the entire neighborhood would then like the market value would drop. So of course that resulted in having less funding for better schools, community parks, gardens, hospitals, you name it. And black people would be denied housing loans, which opened the floodgates for slum lords to come in because they they would just scoop up the property at a low interest rate, mostly because they were white, and they'd get approved. (laughs) No problem. Um, And then they basically had free reign to do whatever they wanted. You want to charge this kind of rent? Okay, but if they don't make rent on the first of the month, you get to take their car, like what like crazy things they were doing back then, which yeah. has gotten better, but slumlords are definitely still very, very much a thing. Uh, Jared Kushner much? <laughs> <laughs> now, in the present day, denying someone a bank loan on the basis of race, ethnicity, or religion is definitely illegal, but yes. they can look at, yeah, your credit score, your income, and based on where you live. So if you're in a majority Hispanic or black neighborhood and everyone else in the white neighborhood just miles down the road is getting approved for something um, at a much lower rate, it's definitely super messed up. And it's super tied to race because people will be like, oh, well, like, you know, it's not a race thing. It's a poor thing. And it's not a poor thing. It's like either way you spin it, it's, it's all combined because the racial wealth gap has created this whole tornado. (laughs) Yeah. But um, let's talk about other evils that banks do in reverse redlining, which is something rough. Okay. (laughs) And this is when banks specifically target certain groups of people, again, primarily Hispanic and Black communities, And this really started coming to a head in the 2000s. Now, what's the most problematic bank you can think of? I I don't know why I just think Bank of America. (laughs) It's actually not Bank of America. It is Wells Fargo. Oh, okay. Nope, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Bank of America, I'm sure you're not great. I don't know a lot about Bank of America, but Wells Fargo is like, such a trash fire. Uh, <laughs> I listened to an episode of The Dollop, which is a very good podcast, and they did a whole episode about Wells Fargo. Okay. And I mean, it's ranging from like all of this fraud to like horrible labor conditions. So like, it's just like awful all around. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, But specifically for this, they are huge, huge perpetrators of reverse redlining. 
Yeah. So Wells Fargo partnered with churches in black communities where the pastor would deliver wealth building seminars mm. in their sermons mm. and the bank would make a donation to the church in return for every new mortgage application. I hate that. I already hate that. Why do you <laughs> I hate that. Doesn't they... that sound great? <laughs> I hate the intertwining of religion <laughs> and money. Like, I just hate all of that. It's mm-hmm. just that awful. <laughs> yeah. And it's super predatory lending. And that was because people were then, not only they were manipulated and they were, I mean, maybe they don't want to think they were manipulated, but they were manipulated. Um, and they would then go to the bank and be approved for an extremely high-risk subprime loan. And a subprime loan is, again, when a loan is, um, it has a high, it's higher in cost, but even if you have bad credit, if you, you know, just maxed out all of your credit, if you've got a ton of defaulted loans, whatever it is, you can still be approved for them. Isn't that great? No, they're horrible. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) um, So when the housing bubble subsequently burst in 2008, foreclosures in those communities were imminent. Uh, I don't know if you've seen The Big Short, but that I is a very good movie about haven't. I know the basis of it, but I have not seen it. It's very good, and I saw it when it came out. I think I saw it in theaters, and I don't know however many years ago. I think I was still in college, and I didn't know anything, I mean, about anything, but especially yeah. about the housing crisis. I was like, I didn't even know this was happening. Uh, but then I was watching it. And they do a really good job of, like, trying to make all the, like, really, like, dull economic stuff seem interesting. So they'll have, like, celebrities, like, come in, like, as themselves. And it's like, hi, I'm Gordon Ramsay. This is what this is. And then, like, they have some, like, kitschy little, like, metaphor for it. Uh, But it's very good. It's a good movie. Um, But they basically taught me what a subprime loan was. Uh, But I still don't think I really got it until I was, like, in the real world. And then I was like, oh, okay. I can see why that's not great. Uh, So, and it's also a very sad movie because this, like, reporter is, like, trying to investigate it and why these banks are doing it. And then he's, like, I think he's in somewhere in Florida. Of course, it's Florida. Oh, Florida. And there's all these, like, (laughs) nice houses. And then he's, like, hey, I'm just, like, checking about your loans. And they're, like, why? Is there a problem? Like, am I going to lose my house? And he's, like, I don't know. (laughs) And then it burst. So. That's pretty scary. yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And after the housing and financial crisis happened, surveys showed that wealthy black applicants for loans were only offered subprime loans. Meanwhile, poor whites were still offered prime loans. So, okay, the whole idea racism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's not even like yeah, it's like straight up racism. And better yet, uh, bankers were caught referring to these subprime loans as ghetto loans. Oh, God. Okay. That hurts. Is, this only, is this only in Wells Fargo, or is this like a thing? <laughs> no, I mean, the story with the, the seminar building and everything like that, that was Wells Fargo. But oh, in terms of, like, the subprime loans, those were, like, everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I hate it. Mm -hmm. 
And this reverse redlining is especially evil considering it's giving people a false hope of like, hey, you want to be like me and own your house? Well, now you can. Um, you've defaulted on all your past loans. You don't have any savings. That's fine because you can still own a house. And then they can't. And not only did they lose their house, I mean, they lost everything. So, God. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Awful. Um, Awful. It's so bad. Yep. yep. <laughs> And speaking of giving false hope and then being in debt forever, let's talk about real, let's talk real quick about student loans. Ooh! I really lovely. worked on that segue, but I messed it up Ooh, at the end. The pizza pie that I am actually involved with because I don't have a mortgage yet because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, there was this little lender called Sally May. Is that your lender? Um, no, but I do, I know of it. I know that's like the biggest one. Mm -hmm. I somehow have something very, uh, New York based. It's like the Great Lakes stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Great Lakes was bought by Navient and Navient is real sketchy. Or maybe Navient was bought by Great Lakes. I don't know. Okay. I only know this because I briefly worked at Nelnet as a temp. Okay, okay. <laughs> so like, so I kind of know about well. certain companies, but I mean, Nelnet is like the biggest. Uh, Sally May, it's not the biggest, but like people know of it the most and not for good. it's the worst, right? Isn't it just awful? Yeah. So okay. there's a big class action lawsuit in 2007 where they were accused of a few different things. Um, first, they were accused of not disclosing proper loan terms in their agreements, and most importantly, underwriting loans for students that were attending universities with higher minority populations, because you know, those schools are high risk, and that's what they put like in, Ugh. high risk. So the repayment on those loans are more strict and can result in higher interest rates and students may not be aware of it because it wasn't properly disclosed. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, that's so bad. Yeah, if you're a proud, you know, someone of Latino descent and then you want to go to a predominantly Latino college, Great, you should do that. Why are you paying more for your loans because you decided yeah, to? Yeah, no, that's um, unreasonable. And there were a lot of people, Morehouse is a huge um, all-black school in Atlanta, and uh, it's very prestigious. I mean, a lot of people become lawyers and go into med school and all these different things, uh, but they were being, you know, Based on because they were like, oh, but Morehouse, that's a black college, so that's high risk. And it's like, why is it high? Why? Why? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, so in 2011, Sally Mae settled. Uh, they made a donation of 500 grand to the United Negro College Fund. That was their settlement. I mean, that's yeah, very well, small. They did that, right? but it doesn't seem right. Are they? Have they been like, okay, and then we're gonna change? everything we've been doing because like I don't think I so. think you would need think, that little clause in there you know <laughs> yeah I think the press was so bad and the pressure was so bad that they I think they made some changes but it's mostly just like a slap on the wrist 
you know, pay this fine, you're fine. Um, and 500 grand, I was like, that's not even, that's barely anything. Like, you should be paying back all of the money that you stole from this interest rate <laughs> of all the students you manipulated. But yeah, uh, and, and like was, reimbursing that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I don't know if this was the case as to why it was so small, but they did have to pay all the legal fees and the legal fees were like 1.8 million. So like all these lawyers and the attorneys fighting back and forth, they were like, well, who's going to pay this? Sally Mae. But it's like, okay, but that doesn't really like, I mean, they need to be paid. I get that. But like, that's not helping really yeah. anybody else. Yeah. So, so let's uh, bring this full circle back to Mike Bloomberg, the man of the hour. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so in 2008, at a Georgetown University forum, Mike Bloomberg was talking about the housing crisis, which had just happened, and it was 2008. And he stated that, quote, get ready for this. this uh oh, it's okay. going to be a doozy. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> it all started back when there was a lot of pressure on banks to make loans to everyone, Bloomberg said. Redlining, if you remember, was the term where banks took whole neighborhoods and said, people in these neighborhoods are poor. They're not going to be able to pay off their mortgages. Tell your salesmen, don't go into those areas. Congress got involved, local officials as well. They said, Oh, that's not fair. These people should be able to get credit. And once you started pushing in that direction, banks started making more and more loans where the credit of the person buying the house wasn't as good as you would like. End quote. Uh, okay. Yeah. So simply put, Bloomberg blamed the financial crisis on getting rid of redlining. Now, if that was his intention, I don't know. I don't really care what he was trying to say. It's not good how it came off. And nope. I don't think he has any idea, like, the nuance that he's talking. Like, he is a white multi-multi-billionaire. So he has no yeah. idea what's happening. Like, you didn't lose your house, Mike Bloomberg. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was also, like, it was... Yeah, it was crazy. Like, well, we tried to give poor people houses and this is what happens. Like, you're putting the blame on the wrong thing. And it reminded me of like the busing riots that were happening in the 70s. And people were like, I will throw rocks at children if my little Timmy has to go to school with a black girl. And then people were like, well, that's what you get when you try to desegregate the schools. Like, we shouldn't have desegregated, I guess. It's like, okay, redlining and school segregation, both bad. Riots and a financial collapse, also bad. It's not just like cause and Correlated, you know? Like, yeah. find a better way to segregate the schools. Find a better way to give people access to housing. <laughs> like, you're yeah. putting the blame on the wrong things, and you're not blaming the bankers who pushed subprime loans on people. Yeah. And, of course, the push of the subprime loans was specifically targeted towards red zone people. 
So, I greatly enjoyed the beatdown Elizabeth Warren gave him. <laughs> redlining. You know, like a boss. Yeah. yeah. She, she brought the heat, and then she brought the thunder. And, and I, I could watch her debate all day. Like, I wish she was our, I mean, I wish she was our nominee because of a lot of reasons. Also, I, yeah, I'm a kind of, I, I like the burn. I like Bernie yeah. and I'm upset about that, but you know, I think both but of us are not, are who we have right now. Yeah, yeah we're both, you yeah. know. Speaking of busing, Joe Biden, uh, you were super against it. So what are you doing? And now you're our nominee. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so redlining, it's honestly very, very overwhelming, I think, because it was this, like, little thing that we made in the 30s that, again, was supposed to pull us out of the Great Depression. And maybe it helped, but it only helped some people. And it's had the significant ramifications ever since of yeah. these communities that have already like been... Like, 90-year-long ramifications. Yeah. I mean, it's like... Uh, like, I say that because it's like you know, it shouldn't be surprising that, that, I don't know, I don't know, racism has been an issue for more than 90 years, you know, so it's like, it <laughs> does <laughs> make sense, there, you know, there's a very current case, I'm not gonna really mention, but, like, very current, that's still, you know, along the lines of these things. Yeah, so. yep, and anyway. it's, yeah, it's Brutal. very, 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 very bleak. And I also think, you know, a lot of people when they hear, and it's not just Republicans, but a lot of people when they hear like reparations, they're like, what? I don't understand why, or even like affirmative action. Why does he get to go to school for free just because he's black? That's not fair. And it's like, you know what? What? You know what's not fair? <laughs> and it's like, even if he's doing okay, even if you guys are on equal playing field right now, like, he's poor and black, you're poor and white. Why does he get to go just because he's black? I understand why poor white people feel the way they feel about it, but also you only feel that way because you feel like you should be higher up because you're white. That yeah. is not great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and also reparations, it's like, yeah, because if you look at the historical timeline and if you understand the history of how this has continued to affect, like, each and every decade, like, slavery ended, it didn't all, it wasn't all fine. The March on Selma happened, it wasn't all fine. Like, it's, it's not all fine. Yesterday happened, <laughs> not fine. These <laughs> are not fine. <laughs> well, Yesterday, are you talking about how they found the, they arrested the men? I'm not, I didn't, I, I was just saying yesterday, but yes, oh. you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was about. like, are you talking about on Thursday? No, I, I wasn't talking about specifics, okay. like, you know. Yes, two months ago, or however long ago, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so if we ever want this to improve, yeah, I mean, redlining. People should be aware of it. And, yeah. People not involved directly with it should be aware of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the people that have been promoting these policies and holding them up in high regard, 
cough, cough, wink, wink, Mike Bloomberg. Uh, <laughs> I I think you should go live in the red zone then. If you Mikey, Mikey, Bloomberg, maybe not you should be in an apartment. Yeah. yeah. Go live in NYCHA for, for a few nights and yeah. you'll probably think differently about how it's so easy. So Yeah. So yeah, that is my take and my sort of explanation of okay. redlining. Yeah. Wow. Intense. Intense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just like didn't know what that was at all. So I like yeah. kind of had like the gist of it, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't, you know, know the history or how pervasive it has been, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I like read the definition, I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I definitely, I wouldn't be like, I don't believe it. That's nonsensical. <laughs> like, yeah. I definitely was like, oh, that seems like a bad thing. And I'm not surprised at all. But then it was just like, like, even if you look on the Wikipedia page, it's just like every different area. And I couldn't even go into public health because that was just like yeah. a whole mess of things. There was oy, something, oy. maybe I shouldn't even bring it up now, but it was like about the AIDS crisis and how they could see where, I mean, this was only pertaining. It wasn't, I mean, it was racial, but you know, they could see where the gay men were living and then ignore public health and just like not give them access to, you know, condoms and not give them access to testing and all yeah. that stuff. So there's yeah. just like literally like anything. If you're like, well, could it affect, you know, like anything? I don't know. The butcher. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you live in the red zone, you probably don't have a good butcher because the butcher <laughs> doesn't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. And mostly if it's government. I guess, like, you can have a good butcher in the red zone, I'm just saying. (laughs) Government aid, it's not going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on a light note, uh, I don't know, it's summer almost. Okay, all right. It's been nice-ish out, you know? Yeah. Things are feeling a little better. Quarantine has not lifted, and I don't think it should. So, uh... You know, stay home, maybe do a puzzle, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Sorry, it's good to be on land. <laughs> I've, <laughs> yeah. been, I've been doing a lot of crafts. That's Ooh. nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of home ab workouts. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just one more 10 minute ab workout away from getting the six pack I've always wanted. <laughs> For real? <laughs> No. Okay. Okay. It has not like, made any. No one ever achieves that. That's a crazy goal. No. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, I think that was uh, explained away. All right. Explained away. Explained away. <laughs> <laughs>